everyone. Welcome to Scotty on the Horn. This is a podcast where I invite experts from a variety of fields and discuss topics that interest me. Today's guest, we have Leanne Napierkowski. She was a prominent rugby player as a coach and a teacher. She works with the Carlton Ravens club rugby team and also runs a program for mixed abilities rugby. We talked in this episode about different coaching strategies, culture, about what's happening in the world of mixed abilities rugby. Uh, I learned a lot in this episode and hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come and chat with me. Oh, no worries. So yeah, I guess I'll start just uh, with a simple question. How do you say your last name? Napierkowski. Napierkowski. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Miss Nap at school or Nappy as I'm known in the rugby world. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, all right. So I guess the way that I usually like to start these is I will sort of go back in time and then I do a run through of sort of your life in athletics. And then mm-hmm. I like to give, because this is for a target audience of mostly undergrad students who tend to be athletes, kinesiologists. I love to give the career path and the education path too, just to show how, you know, most of us had no idea either for a long time. <laughs> and and yeah, we all kind of wound up in an okay place, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess let's get started with uh, you, your childhood. When did you start playing sports? Uh, probably grade four. I started playing actual organized sport. So soccer was my first, first real sport. Um, played for the Nepean, Nepean City here in Ottawa and played soccer up until I was 18 when I found rugby. And yeah, rugby kind of changed my life trying to figure out why I hadn't started playing a lot earlier. But I played touch football through high school, volleyball, basketball, um, floor hockey, like anything I could get my hands on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so multi-sport athlete, not necessarily early specializer. Just tried everything out. Yeah, tried everything out. I'm a terrible Canadian, so no hockey, no skiing, oh. no, I, I don't ski. Anything to do with cold, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I, I sit here in my fake Boston Bruins. Yeah, I'm an indoor cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I played hockey myself. I, I didn't get into skiing much. I had passes at Montremblant growing up. My mom worked there, and I just... I played hockey too much that I couldn't ski very often, never took really any interest in it. And then when I moved out West, now I'm addicted because it's just a different type of skiing. Like the powder is so fun and yeah, it's uh but I ski like a hockey player. Like my legs are like, <laughs> apart and like knees bent. So I ski like graceful. A, yeah. It's not, it's not pretty, but I get down the, I get down the hill. Yeah. Awesome. So you started playing rugby at 18. Yeah. Where did where did you play? Uh, played at Laurentian High School. So I started in my grade 12 year playing sevens. And then my cl- the coach who was my high school, what was she, science teacher at the time, suggested I come out to play for the Banshees. And yeah, started at the Banshees and had been there ever since two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then switched over to the Lanark Highlanders after that. Um, got to play in Australia. I played for Ontario. Got to play for Canada too, a little bit. So in a few places. <laughs> Yeah. While starting at 18. Yeah. Rugby is interesting that way that you don't have to start super young like uh, tennis or hockey or a lot of other sports. You you can pick it up. And I think that's the beauty of the sport is a lot of the skills are transferable. 
-hmm. And when you come into rugby, it's new, so you're not tired of it. So I had played soccer since grade four. I was getting a little, you know, tired of the same thing over and over again. Um, so a brand new sport was exciting and, and really cool. Totally. One of the things I often ask, and it's usually for a long storied career, <laughs> not jumping in and reaching expert level uh, quite quickly, but uh, I, I usually ask uh, when I'm talking to athletes is what, what are some, I guess you're a coach too, so this might be a good question. I am, yeah. um, what are some of the common mistakes that people make in rugby? Hmm. Well, playing injured would be the biggest one, I think. Um, not disclosing your injuries to to the people that are nearby. We've we've seen that recently with uh, the Rowan Rowan. Um, oh my goodness, Rowan's last name, Rowan Stringer. Um, her her death about I think five years ago, maybe a little longer. Um, that was just tragic, and I think that's brought a lot of identification to the sport about it. Um, I, I see a lot of coaches focusing on winning too much, and I, I find that frustrating, especially at the younger the younger years and I was guilty of that in my younger years coaching too was that the be all end all was the win and that's not necessarily how we keep people in the game yeah so what are some of the mistakes maybe that uh even skilled players continue to make that you see being selfish is a big one I think (laughs) um doing the right thing when people are watching but not necessarily the right thing when people aren't watching so having having that battle with your character yeah. and your values as a player. I, I value character above everything else. So I think that's a big part of my coaching and I hope that gets instilled to the athletes that I work with. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the selfish part, I think a lot of people think you can do it on your own in rugby without, but if you look at the really good teams, you look at New Zealand, you look at the, the, the Fijians, the, the way that they move the ball, the way that they work with each other and, and trust each other is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I guess sort of the last question on this line as a, you know, for those rugby players listening, if you could go back and save yourself some time in terms of your skill development, what would you tell yourself? Ooh. Listen more. <laughs> I think I, I would, I would listen and, and not be, not assume that one coach has all the answers because it's very easy to have a relationship with one coach and think that that's the only way to do it. And then you go to another coach and they have another philosophy and they don't necessarily, they're not, they're not opposing each other, but they're not necessarily the same. So a lot of athletes say, well, my coach didn't tell me to do that. I'm not going to do it. I, I think I would definitely like to learn from more people. I think I had a pretty sheltered upbringing, which served me really well. But I did expose to a lot of coaches and I would love to have gone back and worked with more people. Yeah, I tend to I tend to notice that even when I was working as a, an applied sports psych consultant with some of the players, they would be telling that and athletes will often say that quite often too, is especially when they like the coach, right? Yep. So when they've had a good experience, they had a really strong relationship with their old coach and then they go to a new coach who maybe they don't on an interpersonal level have the same relationship anymore and then they they question their judgment so I find that often to being a woman and I coach men um, I, I it takes, takes a long longer for a lot of younger men to develop that sense of trust with me um, I, I don't know I, I have all the credentials, same credentials as other men that coach but a lot of times um, there's that trust factor because they haven't been coached by women before yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions. <laughs> I did <laughs> and I saw you were the club coach of the year, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's congratulations nice... for that. Uh, Thank you. Carlton Ravens. And I was going to ask you, uh, as 
you know, I, I actually recently saw this program I was reading about today. The U Sports is doing this female apprenticeship coach program. So I was reading about that. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. And then I, I saw today when I was researching you <laughs> that you won and then you actually coached the men's team. So I, I wanted yeah. to get your opinion sort of how, how that, how did you transition into coaching the, the men's game? And then what was that like? What were some of the struggles? And maybe, yeah, let's start with that. And then I guess I'll go into, do you have advice for other female coaches entering the male game on, you know, maybe some stumbles you made early on, some mm -hmm. lessons you learned, how you could have maybe transitioned easier? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I started as a high school coach um, at St. Peter here in Ottawa, and I was coaching the women's team. Mm -hmm. And um, the boys were being coached by someone that didn't necessarily have as extensive a knowledge of rugby as because I'd been playing for years. Mm -hmm. So the boys had often asked me to come over and help help with their coaching. So I did that and I really enjoyed it. I'd never coached guys before and I really enjoyed, um, I guess it's just different. It's, it's, it's not better, it's not worse, it's not faster or slower. It's just a different, a different environment, I guess. Um, so started coaching at St. Peter, um, enjoyed a lot of his success. We're at seven championships at the high school now since I took over the program, wow. which is cool. <laughs> um, and the, actually the Carleton women's, the former Carleton women's coach came to St. Peter and he took over the women's program before he was the Carleton women's coach. Yeah. So the two of us were working together at St. Pete's and we did a lot of tours together. We went to Ireland, went to England, uh, with the kids to New Brunswick often as well to the Ross Day tournament and just we created a really nice club atmosphere between the two of us and created the kids always joked like a cult like experience at the school that yeah. you were part of the rugby program. You're part of this family that takes care of each other. And they joked that it was a cult. So it was, we, we did something right there, which was good. Um, from there, I coached at Ottawa U as an assistant coach there of the men's program. Um, so came in twice a week to help out as much as I could, but their practices ran at, seven in the morning and I had to be in Orleans by eight. So a little bit of a struggle. Um, and from there I coached at the Ottawa Beavers Banshees and I was a player with the Banshees and uh, I coached Ryan with the Beavers. I knew I recognized your face. So yeah. I was like, oh, I must have seen her. When, yeah. you, when were you an assistant coach at, at Ottawa? Oh my goodness. That would have been 2002, I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I did my PhD yeah. there. So I was like, I wonder if we even oh, know there. So, yeah. yeah, well, I went, I went to Ottawa U as well. So I, I brought Carleton and Ottawa U are my three schools that I went to. Awesome. So yeah, did my time, did my time as a GG and as a Raven and as a Badger. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, where was I? So you're, yeah, you, you oh, coaching, to, yeah, yeah, coaching the Beavers and Banshees. So I transitioned from a player to a coach. Again, the, the men were wanting a little bit more structure in their coaching. We had people lined up for the women um, that were providing really good structure. So I transitioned into coaching the, uh, the senior men at the Ottawa Beavers. Mm -hmm. So that's where I really started working with senior men and adults and the challenges that come with that. Yeah. <laughs> and probably five years after that, um, Carlton U started uh, an en engineering program, I guess, for their rugby team. And it was really, it was kind of a recreational team. It was a mixed gender team at the time playing contact, which kind of turned my head a little and made me uncomfortable. <laughs> and a couple of players were playing on that team and they asked me to come play for, or come coach with Carlton. 
And I said, we're gonna have to be serious if that's the case. So we put a lot of the measures in place to become a serious club team. Mm -hmm. And we've finally got the club status and we're looking, looking to get that varsity status if we can soon. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a long journey. <laughs> so what were some of the uh, initial struggles that you had entering, let's say, the senior, the Beavers team? It, sound, it sounded like, well, it actually sounded like both teams kind of wanted you already. So. They, well, they did. Like, I, I have a, a good deal of experience. I, my resume is, 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 is good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Without sounding full of myself. <laughs> you know, I mean, that always helps. I coached, I coached a team the last two years where the players were better than I ever was which is another struggle in itself, right? Because you have to establish your credibility in some way where yeah. your, your pedigree speaks for itself. My hockey career didn't. Uh, I was fortunate to lean back on my sports psych degree. and Which is huge. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the best players, though, don't always make the best coaches. So I know, like, even in the education world, the best people who are the best mathematicians don't make the best math teachers. Hmm. They don't understand where the struggles are. So I think... There's a, there's a measure of both that you need to have an understanding of where people struggle as well as being that top athlete. It, you need to have both on, on board. Um, some of the struggles have, I, I often get mistaken as either a mom or a girlfriend or the trainer. Yeah. And the number of times that I've heard, good for you, you're the coach. <laughs> Almost got a tap on the head. I, yeah, it, that's frustrating. It's really frustrating. <laughs> I was contemplating getting coach tattooed on my forehead, but I, I thought that maybe that's not a good look. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's really frustrating, especially from, again, men that haven't necessarily been around as much or have as much experience. They just assume that uh, I don't have that knowledge, which yeah. I find to be frustrating. Yeah. Do you find it difficult sometimes to get buy-in or... Not from my teams. I've never had issues with my teams because I'm, I'm pretty blunt and I'm, I'm pretty open with the players that I have. Um, and they, they've been around. Like Most of the teams that I've worked with, I've been in the environment with them and they've got to know me first. Yeah. And then they, they know that there's no um, BS behind me, that it is, I, I'm legit and I know what I'm talking about. So yeah, and not afraid to hop in and, and play and, and do some of the stuff too, right? So it's, I think that, that helps. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you kind of mentioned your, the schools you went to. Can you walk me through your academic path? Sure. So Laurentian High School here in Ottawa. Um, it's it was basically Jock High. It's a Walmart now, but <laughs> it's, uh, I, I chose it specifically for athletics. So got there and played whatever I could. Um, fell in love with rugby in my last year of school and then went off to Brock University and played there. Um, and at that point, I, I wasn't sure that I was going to take rugby seriously, but was invited to Ontario U19 um, my first year of playing. So I thought, okay, we'll give this a go. And when I got to Brock, I ended up as an OUA All-Star. So that was kind of fun. And again, unexpected. I didn't, I didn't know that rugby had this to offer and that you could travel so much with it and that you can literally go around the world and anybody will take care of you. Once you learn that, then you want to pursue more opportunities. So played my three years at uh, Brock. I switched programs. Uh, I started at Brock in phys ed. And if you know anything about the phys ed program at Brock, it's not kinesiology. It was at that point uh, very movement-based. So Rudolf Lobin and the principles of movement and exploring your body through space. Not my jam. 
I had to uh, take dance classes and gymnastics classes, not my thing. So I switched to history at that point. So that's my, my other love. I'm a little bit of a history nerd. So that messed up my credits a little. And uh, I did a past degree at Brock, but I finished my credits at Carleton because I knew I would have to sit out a year between Teachers College and being at Brock because they're both varsity programs. I ended up doing my year at Carleton, played on their club team, finished off my credits, and then ended up at Ottawa U for my uh, Teachers College. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then what do you teach right now? Right now I'm a special education teacher. I'm, I'm called uh, an inclusion teacher. Okay. So that's where I, I came into my world of mixed abilities. So uh, I started off as history, uh, phys ed. I've taught uh, geography, English, pretty much everything. When you enter the high school world, you can you can teach anything that yeah. they ask you, basically. <laughs> yeah. So before I, before I get into this, which was actually the main point of our conversation, although I found some other interesting tidbits about you, what position were you as a rugby player? Head, head prop. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I, got, I got to play a little bit of uh, lock. I'm not quite tall enough. I'm five eight, um, so not quite as tall as they want for a lock. Um, but yeah, mostly tight head. They never could really figure out where to put me as a position. I was just too small for forward and just too slow for a back. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah so. Always tough to place me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So the purpose of this conversation, really why I brought you on was because I was introduced to you by a mutual friend, uh, someone who is quite knowledgeable about inclusive uh, sport. So you mentioned that it's part of what you teach now. Was that something that you studied at Carleton? No, I, um, as a history teacher, I often got the classes where kids had some learning struggles. So, so not necessarily people with special needs, but um, kids with ADHD or kids that might have some behavioral issues. So I took my special education specialist um, in order to help kids that just struggled in, in the regular stream. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoyed working with the, the kids. I, I have no problem with a kid that tells me to F off because their life is tough. And like, I, I, that's my kid. That's the kind of kid I like to work with. Yeah. So I always asked for those applied level classes and I asked for all the tough kids because I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and I did that for my goodness, eight to 10 years. Yeah. And at one point our inclusion teacher at the school left and, uh, it, it's a hard job. So there is a lot of transition in that job. So my principal came to me and said, you've got your specialist. Would you consider doing this as something new? And I just, that was two years after I came back from a, a year of exchange in Australia. So I thought, you know what, you know, good time to do it. Why not? Let's give it a whirl. I had no clue what I was getting into. <laughs> um, and you kind of learn on your feet, but I'm really glad I did. And it's probably one of the more meaningful positions I've ever had, coaching, teaching, anything. So how did you bridge the two worlds? What, uh, what opportunity you know, came your way where you could add this inclusion piece to rugby? Uh, funny, I was, I was watching the Women's World Cup in 2018 in Ireland. And they hosted a, a jamboree of sorts for adults with special needs. And all of the international athletes were working in this workshop with these athletes. And I saw it on Twitter and I thought, holy cow, how cool is that? Mm -hmm. So I contacted Paul Hunter at Rugby Canada and I emailed him and said, listen, this fits perfectly into what I'm doing right now. How do I get this started? Does this exist in Canada? If it does, how can I help? If it doesn't, where do I start? 
Mm. Within three minutes, he had an email back to me saying, call me now. So I called him back and I said, listen, here's my idea. If it doesn't exist, um, I've got access to Carleton University. I've got access to the Ottawa Catholic School Board um, and all the athletes that may have special needs and rugby athletes that don't have special needs, um, but we can bring that world together. So the idea was a jamboree at first, which is what we did. Uh, we had 90 athletes the first year with special needs and probably uh, probably an equal amount, probably about 90 volunteers who came in and helped. Um, we had an inflatable field. We had access to the facilities at Carleton. All of the Carleton Ravens men's and women's players came out. The Algonquin Thunder players came out as well. Um, local, like Miguel was there, uh, local rugby players just came out and, and donated their time. They had no experience with athletes with special needs which was kind of awesome because there was no preconceived notions. There was no um, expectations. They just came out and played. So we did a morning of skills and then lunch. We had a pizza lunch provided by a local business. And then the afternoon we actually played games and everyone thought bananas thinking that we'd get kids with Down syndrome or kids with autism playing games. We had kids in walkers. We had kids with service dogs. We had uh, blind, low vision kids. It, and, and, athletes without disabilities all playing together. And it was the ridiculously fun thing I've ever seen in my life. Awesome. That, that was year one. Year two, we ended up with, we were at 120 athletes, I believe. And then year three, 145 athletes. Wow. So it's growing. Obviously we can't do it this year, which is a sin, um, but we keep growing. Our Jamboree keeps growing and our monthly program has blossomed out of that. So we meet once a month, non-COVID. Um, once a month to play and we play for about an hour and it's again various mentors come in from different programs so the GGs have jumped on board men and women um, we have Ottawa uh, Carleton we have Algonquin and again club players from all over the place and at the end of the session they end up thanking me after they've volunteered their time they thank me for the experience oh, it is life-changing it's so cool to see yeah so, so how are the rules adapted or how does it work when they play? Yeah, well, there's different versions. So right now in Canada, we're playing. Um, so we were the first program in Canada. They've developed a second one in the Toronto area at the Ability Center, which if you don't know anything about the Ability Center, super cool facility, um, all accessible. It's, it's a really cool facility that they, they run amazing programs. Um, so we play touch. So we haven't taken in contact yet. It's still new. So rugby in itself has already got that dangerous thought to it for parents. Yeah. Uh, parents of, of athletes with special needs are not ready for contact just yet. So we're, we're working our way into this. Um, but in England, they, we have a partner uh, in Scotland with Tri Fest Rugby International. They play full contact. And it is the coolest thing. Again, you think bananas, absolutely yeah. no way. This is unsafe. You watch a game. I challenge you not to cry at, at the beauty of it. So the International Mixed Abilities Rugby Tournament, IMART, is, if you just Googled or um, YouTube it and watch any of the videos, it's unreal. So you have athletes with disability, athletes without disability, and it, it, they range it on vulnerability, not disability. So someone with uh, returning from a concussion can play in a full contact game and wear a red scrum cap. By wearing a red scrum cap, you just get touched. Oh, cool. Uh, Yellow is a hug or, or just a, a wrap up. And then the rock continues, ball goes to the ground. There's no contest. If you have no scrum cap on, full game, you play. So the, I love the concept of 
vulnerability, not disability, because that's another avenue for us to bring people back into the game. So many people leave because they're injured or they don't want to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Really cool way for us to bring people back into a game that is, there's no other word but inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Well, rugby itself is is pretty inclusive in the standard metric, just because it there's a position for almost every body, right? So every type of body can excel at what they do. Right. So if you're fast and, and, and lean and light, then you're on the outside running. If you're bigger and heavier, you're pushing in the rocks. If you're yeah, so it's, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty neat culture. And anyone who's not exposed. Because there's not a lot of sports where bigger women can feel success and feel included. So especially in the high school level for, for girls that don't consider themselves to be that stereotypical athlete that has the ripped six pack, mm-hmm. those girls can still compete and still achieve success and then find a different avenue into sport that they may not have seen before. Mm-hmm. And it's great therapy. Girls never get to hit people. So <laughs> it's <Yeah>. great therapy. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess the athletes themselves in the inclusive rugby, I'm assuming they enjoy being hit and like getting tackled and tackling and. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, it's the whole culture of rugby. If you, if you watch any of the videos, you'll see the boys are having beers together and it's, it's, it's 18 and above. So there, there are programs leading up to that contact. There's pre-contact and then there is the contact version of it. But at the iMart games, they have the opening ceremonies and everybody's with their team and they dress in fancy dress. Like you've got their Hawaiian shirts on or whatever like theme they choose. Yeah. And then they have their opening ceremonies and they play their games. And after the games, the handshake and the, the development of social skills for especially someone with autism that may struggle with making eye contact and, and making friends. This makes a huge difference of showing that you know, even after a game, we've hit each other. Now we're still friends and we're, we're going to go and have dinner together and we're going to have a pint together. It's amazing. Um, and then at the end of it, they have this huge party. Everybody's dancing. They just, it, it's the wildest thing. And it, it's just so cool. Yeah. Are there, are there any of those events in Canada? No, not yet. So we're hoping, so I'm working with the Ability Center um, with the, the program there that hoping within the next five years we can get, I don't know if COVID's going to throw anything into the mix on this, mm-hmm. getting a team that would pr- participate at the IMART games. So we've, my program played at the halftime of Canada versus Russia, a touch game. And there were, I think it was 3,600 people in the stands here in Ottawa. Awesome. And when we came on at half, like when the kids scored tries, they could be running the wrong way. They could be going sideways, but everybody went nuts for them. And the smiles on the kids' faces after was unreal. The Ability Center had um, their kids play, her kids, their athletes play um, at the halftime of Leinster versus Canada at, um, oh my goodness, Hamilton. Is it still Everwin Stadium? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the stadium, the big, the big football stadium in uh, Hamilton, they had them play at halftime again, too. I was playing in that program with them, and it was, again, same thing. Crowd goes wild, and everybody has a great time. That's awesome. Yeah. So I guess I was going to ask you sort of what are, your, what are the next steps, and, and what are your plans for this program? Do you have anything concrete in play that, let's say, when COVID? Yeah. We're working with uh, Trust Rugby International. So the programs that Trust Rugby runs, it's not just about rugby. So it's an employment program. It's uh, a mentorship program. It's, it's more community-based. So right now, I'm just rugby. What I would love to see, and this 
marries into the world that I work with um, in my work, teaching kids how to, or athletes, once they leave the high school program, what do they do? So getting job skills, finding employers who are, are willing to, to employ um, people with disabilities, because that's not always, people aren't always very open to that situation. So through Trust Rugby, I'm hoping to use their model and, you know, get our program into something that's bigger, not just about rugby, but creating more social skills, creating community contacts, creating an environment that um, is, again, really inclusive and hoping that the athletes without disability who participate can make that segue for the athletes with disabilities to find different avenues to participate in community with. And then as a coach of this mixed abilities rugby, are there, there's got to be differences in how you operate how do you negotiate that that environment like yeah you just have to you just have to know your athletes uh, it's just, it's honestly it's it's very similar to coaching athletes with a disability it's it's just knowing people so if an if an athlete on my ravens team is having a bad day i'm i'm not going to ride them hard in practice someone with autism if if they're a nonverbal autistic and they they're having a bad day and they don't want to be touched. Well, we're not going to do that. Maybe we go over and we play with a ball somewhere else. Maybe yeah. we give you a, a sensory a sensory ball to play with. There's there's other avenues to to try and uh, navigate, just like as you would with any athlete. Mm-hmm. Okay, so getting to know your athletes, um, and then how would let's say someone like me, if I'm interested in getting involved and and potentially starting to try and learn how to coach and get get into the world. How would you suggest I go about this? Are there any courses or are there any uh, things that I could do to prepare myself? Or, or is Absolutely. It- so I'm a world rugby um, coach instructor as well, a learning facilitator. So I, I work with the traditional game, so 15s. Um, there's not a mixed abilities portion yet. I'm hoping that they'll start looking at that very soon. Um, so we're going to try and drive that through Rugby Canada. Um, but the CAC, the Coaching Association of Canada, offers coaching athletes with disabilities. They offer online courses, and it is for free. Oh, so cool. it's an excellent resource, and it's an online module you can do by yourself. So I think that's a really a really good place to start. And that one's free, right? It is. Yeah. So I I know they have they have a concussion course that's free online, and I have my sports psych students do it. But yeah. and all and they do it for a little bit of extra credit, but. I'll actually get them. I'll make that part of my course this semester. Do World that Rugby one. It's a really good concussion management uh, module as well. It's free too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's good to know. So <laughs> I'll get them. I'll get my students certified. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, so you can take these courses online, and then once once you've taken them, how do you get involved? Uh, in Ottawa, it's easy. You just contact me, um, and and I kind of run the whole show here. If you're in the Toronto area, the Ability Center is the point of contact. Those are the only two real programs that have started right now. There is a group out in Calgary that are looking through the Autism Autism Society of Calgary are looking to start their program and kind of make it a little bit broader. Yeah. Um, and I get, I get contact from across Canada asking about like, how do I start a program? And I've, I've shared my story and I did a podcast or um, a webinar for Rugby Canada a little while ago about mixed ability sport. And basically our story so we've shared that um I, I would love to be able to get funding somehow to get on a plane and fly somewhere and help people start it and just kind of do it with them to try and get it going uh, but i can i can help in any way 
shape or form to get programs started across the country as, as much as I can remotely. Okay. So would you mind if I put your contact information? Not at all. No? Please do. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And then if, uh, I guess you said you'd love to go and help them. If that weren't the case and they were potentially the only way they could do it is listen to this podcast. What would you tell them? How, how do you start? Start small and start with the local school. So not inclusion teachers don't exist across Canada, but there are special education programs everywhere across Canada. And teachers like myself are always looking for new and innovative things that they can do with their athletes and their students. Um, so if you're accredited as a coach or you have some sort of credentials that you're not just Joe Schmo coming off the street, a lot of people will take you and take a program that you've developed and, and want to work with you if it provides something really cool for their athletes mm. and students. So there's a boxing program here in Ottawa, Boxing Without Barriers, and it's a similar idea to mine. It's, there's just boxing for everybody. So these got kids with Down syndrome, we've got kids with autism, we've got kids again with in walkers hitting bags, and we've had them come into my school, and I'm trying to help uh, that program grow with my athletes. She tries to help me with her athletes and we, we work together. Mm -hmm. So finding, finding any way that you can get into to help is usually great or local rugby clubs too. If you, if you start there and see if they're in any high schools, every school has got um, students with special needs. So there's going to be a need anywhere across this country. Okay. So your first advice, find a school or find a local rugby program. Yeah. What, what do you do next? Like, honestly, it's as, it's as simple as that play. Oh, wow. yeah. there, there's, there's resources that you, you can find resources everywhere. Everyone gets really hung up on mm. trying to make programs too complicated. And I think that's the downfall of a lot of sport that we have now. And I'm hoping COVID dials us all back a little bit and makes us rethink how we approach sport because we've, we've overcomplicated everything and kids are tired of it. Well, and, yeah, we're, we're, and adults are tired of it. We've professionalized. <laughs> all levels of sport it's it's ridiculous a 10 year old should not be in the weight room and and doing all of these speed training programs that's just nuts let's play so there's resources through rugby canada again that um rookie rugby is a, a program a non-contact program a flag program that rugby canada has developed through um honda and they've got drills they've got games they've got all sorts of fun resources there and we use a lot of those in our, our training programs. They're great for adults. They're great for kids. They're great for everybody. It's, it's fun. It's not, you know, stand on this cone, run to the next cone. Yeah. Five yeah. pushups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned the boxing program, which got with, uh, got in my mind here. We have a professor who actually runs a boxing program for Parkinson's patients. Wow. And he's actually had a lot of success with that. I, yeah. I, I plan to actually have them on the podcast to talk about it. So I don't know a ton about it, but they have a certain way to score the fight. So like you can do it almost even remotely. So you'd film it and they have to go through some, some sort of sequence. And then the person they were fighting would have to do it. So they're not necessarily punching each other in the head, but by executing combos and, and such in certain ways, they gain points and then you can compare it versus other people. So it was uh, very cool. Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of awesome ideas that are, stumbling upon now and i'm just searching for cool things right so there's so much out there that we don't know about like the, the internet's great but it's so yeah. vast now that we we don't know the half of it that's out there so many cool things yeah so with this program is there anything do you think that um 
maybe I've missed or we haven't covered as it relates to it that you think is important to know? Um, in some cases, so the, the, some of the barriers that athletes with special needs face in, in programs like mine is the, um, not people being condescending, that's not the right way of saying it, but um, allowing rules to be broken simply because someone has Down syndrome. So, oh, you get through, I'm not gonna touch you because you have a disability. That, that is not with the goal of, of programs. It's not just to, you know, get people feeling good about themselves because they're able to do something. It's, it's more about like learning the rules and it's, it's equality across the board for the athletes. Mm-hmm. So some of the mentors that come in, uh, like do the fake dive and that's great, but it's, it's a challenge that I also have to face with. Um, we, we don't want to be condescending when we're working with the athletes. Mm-hmm. So it is a challenge and I, I, am, I still have to work through that because we do want people involved, but we also want to make sure it's done in, in a respectful way. And it's not meant to be disrespectful, but oh, it no. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things I was thinking of. If I were going to be volunteering, that was for sure a pothole I would fall into right away. Is I would see someone and say, "Oh, I want you know. Oh, he's close. To, or he or she's close to getting a try. Um, I'll just make a big, big dramatic dive and miss them. <laughs> For sure, I could see myself doing that. And, so, yeah, and that's okay to start. And but as as we start doing more training yeah. and we do more, we we work on the rules and we disappointment is part of everyone's life. So when you don't get your way, you have to learn on how how you adapt to that what happens next and and disappointment has to be taught i think disappointment needs to be taught a lot more to everyone in in society (laughs) yeah you you don't want to go down that route of kind of the infantization of people right no and a lot of these uh, athletes and i i apologize i use kids every now and then i use i use kids for like my 25 year old athletes i talk about my students as kids too and some of them are like five years younger than me But a lot of these, a lot of these athletes are 21, 22 years old, and I know I find struggling as a teacher when you're working with um, students that have intellectual disabilities. If they're working at a lower grade level and they're doing math, the math work that you can find has, you know, unicorns or lollipops or like very infantile things on it, which is it's really tough for self-esteem and for you know, so it's, it's really tough for students sometimes to feel like they're worthy so that I, I struggle with transferring that into sport and making sure everyone um, understands that and, and transfers that to the athlete so that's that's actually very interesting so do your students and maybe athletes and students do they appreciate kind of failing it can be tough like we do have some meltdowns we do have um, it's healthy to hear no it's healthy to hear um, no we failed We'll try again and um, I really think younger students need to hear that with or without a disability um, and learning how to pick yourself up when something does go wrong that is a huge part I think that's missing in the development of most of our society so I see that with my university athletes that have never never failed at something they've always been the rock star on the team mm-hmm. and then they come to a bunch of rock stars and they're not the rock star anymore yeah that's top on the ego yeah yeah for sure well, we work through that. That's stuff that we have to practice. So that that's the difference with the mixed abilities is that um, learning how to deal that. If you're a mentor, how how to deal with it when there is that frustration or when there's that um, lack of success. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy, <laughs> as most parents will tell you for any of their kids. Yeah. 
when they fail, it's tough. Yeah. Do you have any specific techniques that might help out or? It depends on the kid again. So if it's someone that's having a hard time with sensory issues, if it's too loud and they have a sensory overload, then we need to remove that sensory piece from it. If it's um, some of my athletes, sometimes things always go their way. Sometimes you need a little bit of a fit in order for them to realize, well, you know, today it didn't go your way, but we'll try again. And just keeping it the positive talk, not using no a lot, trying to redirect in a positive way. Um, those, are, those are big things. And, and knowing your athletes, again, it's, it's, if you see the meltdowns just about to happen, maybe it's nice time to have a water break. Maybe it's time we go off and we come up with a team cheer. Maybe it's something... You know, we changed the the skill. Now we're going to go do some kicking. So you get that frustration out. It, it sounds to me that the culture is really important. Huge. Absolutely. How, yeah, how people yeah. that understand and are adaptable. So you can't be rigid. So reg, there, there are a lot of rugby coaches, the, the old school coaches that, you know, everything is very rigid and this is the way it was done. It's always been done this way. And there is no adapting your, your drills, your skills, your games, your activities. The game can't exist like that anymore. You have to be able to be adaptable at all times. And the people that I've noticed the greatest success with as mentors can adapt on anything. So this was our lesson plan. Man, it's changed. Nope, oh, sorry, we got to do something else. Shoot, it just started raining. Well, we got to figure something else out. Like it's there's things that have to change. And if you can't do that, I don't think you should be coaching if you can't be adaptable. Mm -hmm. And how do you foster the appropriate culture? within a mixed abilities sport. We, we tend to attract the people that know me and know my expectation of values. So culture is a huge part of something that I um, foster and, and try to create in all the programs that I work with. So mm -hmm. a lot of my high school players come and volunteer. Mm -hmm. A lot of my high school players end up at Carleton or at Ottawa U. So they, they're familiar with me, they're familiar with the program. Mm -hmm. um, and then within the club setting, I've, I've gone and volunteered at almost every club in Ottawa to work with athletes there. So my expectations are very clear. Um, have you read Legacy by James Kerr? I haven't, no. Excellent book. I would, yeah. I'm creating culture with the All Blacks. Fantastic book. And the idea of like sweeping the sheds and that no one's above anyone else. You follow the arrowhead. You're, no. you're part of the team. One of, their, one of their slogans within it is no dickheads. And yeah. that's a huge, that's a huge part of every part of the team that I'm on. It's, there are no dickheads. Mm. You don't stick around if you're not going to be a good person. You can be tough. You can be hard headed, but you're not going to be malicious. If you're a malicious person, you don't have a spot here. So I think people knowing my expectation of good human first, I think that comes through everything else. Mm. I hope it does. Usually one of my, one of my final questions I ask is if you have a book to recommend for listeners what would it be so oh, fabulous one. absolutely fabulous yeah i actually think i have that one in pdf version in my to read um nice. category so no it's a really good one. and in, in, i think everybody should read that one about about culture and in some cases it, some of it's a little bit cheesy but when you put it all together and you recognize the success the all blacks have had that mm -hmm. doesn't come out of nowhere mm -hmm. it comes out of hard work and it comes out of setting up a system that's going to succeed and it's it's awesome it's really good so when you're working with teams do you do you establish core values with them or do you let them know your core values how do, how do you go about that we typically so world rugby has a set of core values um i with specifically with my carlton and my um high school team 
we sit down, we take each of those core values and we figure out what does that mean to us? So uh, integrity, passion, solidarity, discipline, and respect. So when I'm uh, facilitating the coaching courses as well, I take those core values and I ask the coaches, like, what does that mean? So what does that mean for referees? What does that mean for us as players, as a student? What are your, everybody has to go around and they write down their own ideas of what each one of those words means. Yeah. Then we come back, I take all of the work that they've done in their brainstorming session and I put together their code of conduct and then the athletes sign it. So they've come up with their rules. So if respect means you don't talk back to the referee, you've made that rule. Mm-hmm. If dignity means you treat your teachers with dignity and that you show up to class on time, you've made that rule. So they take, I, I coax them into some of the answers that I want, but they, they ultimately come up with the answers. And when they take ownership of that code of conduct, it's theirs. So they break it. That's their responsibility. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm a coaching researcher, if you, <laughs> if you don't know. So, so I, I, everything you're saying, I'm just going, yep, check, check, check. Okay. <laughs> so I, I always say when, when I'm talking about coaching is like a great coach will trick athletes into thinking that your ideas are theirs. <laughs> so, right. So then, you know, it'll be like, oh, and what do we think of community service? Oh, yeah, we should do that, right? That's so true. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So if uh, any of my students are listening, think of the uh, identity leadership paradigm right now and tie some of these concepts here. So. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, so you develop core values. Do you, do you do that also when you're coaching the mixed abilities groups or? We haven't got to that point yet. So our program was only once, once a month. Um, and we're still, it's still very much a volunteer organization. So another one of my steps that I need to get to is, is really making this a more concrete organization and um, really getting a constitution together and making sure that our, ducks are in a row for lack of a better term so we don't necessarily do that i don't i think if we were competing against other teams right now it's more of a a social gathering where we play rugby yeah Um, i'd love for it to get to a point where there are multiple teams Mm -hmm. and we can do a jamboree and we have that then i would i think i would do an adapted version of of values like that for sure Mm. but that 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 goes into like special olympics all of the organizations that already exist for athletes with special needs i think those values are at the heart of them anyways. Rugby always has had those core values and that's what makes it so inclusive. Yeah. So I think that that kind of expands into everything, any programs that exist right now for, for special needs. Yeah, rugby's got these unwritten rules and codes of conduct and, and just, you know, the things you do after games are different than any other sport I ever played. And, and, and they're almost universal where it's crazy where it's not just the game but it's what you do after the game matters as right. well oh, it's, not, it's not almost it 100 percent is universal you can go anywhere literally anywhere in the world and they will take care of you they'll and you'll you'll have a similar type of culture yeah so there i played in australia i showed up within a week they i was captain within two weeks <laughs> of the team that I was playing on um, the girls would you know, t- take you out they'd find you whatever you needed like it's it's unbelievable and it's the same uh, friends that have played in Ireland that have played in South Africa you ruck up to a bar and you they hear you play rugby you're included there's no they don't ask you anything about your background they don't ask you anything about your sexuality your anything it's it's you're in you're a rugger you're in <laughs> yeah no it was always it was always so fun I like I, I hung around well 
I actually probably, we probably have had a beer together, actually. Oh, what am I, you, you do look familiar to you. Like, you've probably been to Twin Elm when I've been coaching. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, I used to watch Ryan when he played for the Beavers, so, and that's probably where I saw, and then I'd go to the clubhouse afterwards, and. You would have been sitting with Heather, I would imagine. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's small like world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wild. You're actually the first guest who I was supposed to not know, but I actually somehow kind of do know you. Six degrees, man. Six degrees of rugby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a small world. It really is. Yeah, but I just found it, yeah. And then with college rugby too, the same kind of thing where you play and they were involved in St. Anne de Bellevue in Montreal. They they had different club teams. So I was always partying with them and hanging out and St. Anne has a fabulous history and their culture is amazing and the, the work they do with their minis program and the community they've created. And luckily they have that geographic kind of, I guess, isolation from other clubs, yeah. but it's, they've done such fabulous work to grow that club and, and really be a family. Mm. They're just amazing. Do you know Marty? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He's a good dude. <laughs> Yeah, so we used to go to his place and have beers. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're small world of rugby. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun. And then just, you know, the songs, the, you know, after the game, you all go to the bar together, you have drinks, you have the, you know, each each team announces a player of the game, you have your rituals. It was, yeah, it was really fun. Well, you look at the the Bingham Cup and the the inclusive nature of of uh, the, the gay games and the, the 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 sin that we didn't get to host it here in Ottawa, but it, I guess twenty twenty two, I think we're going to host again. Oh, are you nice? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it really is a game for everybody. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I know uh, certain players who who've gone and said it was just the best. It was so fun. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I don't know if I have too many other questions. Is there anything else that you think that uh, we've missed? No, I'm just uh, appreciate being able to talk about my passions. It's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that was awesome. It was uh, it was nice to meet you formally and uh, keep doing keep doing what you're doing. Oh, oh, one last question. <laughs> um, so I, I usually ask the book question. You answered the book question. Who who is doing good work in the field of inclusivity in sport. So I, I like to give you a chance to give a shout out to someone who, one, you can you know say nice things about, and two, I could potentially find another guest. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Armstrong at Press Rugby International is absolutely fabulous. He's um, from Scotland, and he's come over a few times to help us get our program established. Mm -hmm. um, I've got nothing but amazing things to say about him. He is just a, an amazing coach, human being, and just good all around people. Um, the other, I would say, I think is a team. So um, Argentina has a ridiculous program. They call it Las Pumpas. Yeah. And they, they actually play against the Argentinian national team and they train with them and it's a mixed abilities team and it's full contact. And if you, if you just look up the YouTube clip about Las Pumpas, you, again, you'll be in tears. It's, the coolest thing it was a dad who had a son with uh, down syndrome he started this program and it just flourished yeah and the culture that you would think is just very macho yeah. and not about this kind of thing it, it definitely shows that inclusivity can happen anywhere and it just needs the right people doing the right thing and mm -hmm. the, the influence you can have is unbelievable 
Awesome. So you've given the shout out to the people. We've covered the books. Uh, I think we're coming to a close. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. No worries.